How many small group leaders do we have here this morning? Raise your hands. Tall and proud, awesome. Thank God for you. Yeah, that was, that was kind of okay, you know. Uh, if I said the Super Bowl is happening tonight, we'd probably get a few more cheers. Uh, let's hear it for our small group leaders one more time. Awesome. Tonight is the Super Bowl in case you... Uh, um, um, from another planet, and you don't realize what's going on in the world today. Uh, how many of you think the Patriots are going to win? All right. How about the Falcons? Ah, sounds like the underdogs might have it. Uh, we don't know who's going to win. You may know. Okay. All right. But it's really not for certain who's going to win. But what is certain is how we know who wins the game. And we'll know who wins the game by what? The final score on that scoreboard is going to tell us who's won the game. So my question this morning for you is, what's your scoreboard? How do you know if you're winning? What's your scoreboard? How do you know if you're winning? When Jesus prepared to leave the earth, um, just before he left, he, he put up the scoreboard for the disciples. And he said, this is how you can know that you are winning the game. And in Matthew 28, 19, he said, he said, go into all the world, therefore, and make disciples, make disciples. Somebody say disciples, disciples of all nations, baptizing them, Jesus said, in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. So Jesus makes it very clear what our purpose is on the earth, the church, which is not glad tidings, the church uh, include the people of God. Say, that's me. My primary role in this life is to be a disciple and make a disciple. Okay? That is the scoreboard. And um, making disciples, as we know, begins with a new birth. Disciples of Jesus are first born or born again, and then they are made into the image of Jesus. We are not born mature. We are born infants. We are newborn babes. We are immature. That is how we are born, and that is how we are born again. And the Bible is very clear that, that uh, this discipleship journey that we are on begins with a new birth, and then it begins with this process of making disciples or growing up into the image of Jesus. You know, spiritual maturity is simply this. It's, it's thinking, feeling, and acting like Jesus. Thinking, feeling, and acting like Jesus. People who are spiritually mature, grown up in Christ, they think like Jesus, they feel like Jesus, they do like Jesus. And it's our responsibility to, to help one another grow into that disciple. Acts chapter 2, verse 36, I want to take you to a passage where it all began. This is the, uh, the birth of the first church, the very first church. We get a picture of, of what happened, how disciples were born, and then how disciples were made. And it begins with how disciples were born. Peter has just preached this incredible message about Jesus in verse 36, 
the very last line of his message, he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. End of message. And then verse 37 says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. And he said, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Somebody say, wow. Wow. A lot of times we read that passage and we go, man, that's church right there. And it is, but it's just a part of church. It's, it's a picture of what it looks like to connect with God in our services. Jesus is preached. Word of God is preached. We're cut to the heart. What must we do? There's a response. Repent and be baptized. So they repent and they're baptized. Can I tell you, 3,000 people were baptized that day. 3,000 people were added to the church that day. How do you go from 120 in the upper room to 3,000 people? How many of you know if we had that kind of growth, we'd have some big problems around here? All right. We might need a few more baptismal tanks. We might need, can I tell you, we almost had 100 people baptized in the month of January. Isn't that incredible? That's awesome. Thank God for that. See, what we just read, what we just read, we get excited about, we get excited about people getting saved, people getting baptized, and we should get excited. But it's like the kickoff of the football game. We're just getting started. A lot of times the ball's kicked off and everybody's cheering. Yeah, this is awesome. And then we walk away from the game. It's like, wait a minute, we're missing the rest of the game. That's just the kickoff. And I want to point you ahead to the rest of the game. So turn with me now to verse number 42. This is what happens after they connect with God in the service. Very, very powerful. They begin to grow into this community of believers. They begin to grow into the likeness of Jesus. And the way that they accomplish this is the same way we do it. And it's through small groups here at Glad Tidings. Watch what happens. This same group of people, over 3,000, remember? It says, they devoted themselves... To the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and, wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number, watch this, daily those who were being saved. So what we have here is we have this picture of, of first this, this, this incredible service where all these people get saved, they get baptized. And then we have this picture of, of these people growing up together in community through small groups. That's what it is. This is our model for small group ministry here at Glad Tidings. If you're going to join a small group, I should say when you join a small group. Amen. When you join a small group community, here is what you can expect. 
You can expect our small groups to be devoted to the same things that these small groups were devoted to. There's four things they were devoted to. Verse 42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, to the teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, before we take a closer look at these four things, I want to look at, first of all, what they were not devoted to. Okay, so I want you to have a look at this video and be thankful that we are not devoted to this. I've got a good feeling about this one. What? Really? Yeah. For some reason, I feel like this is the one that we've been looking for. All right. But if things get weird, we're going to be out of there faster than Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon. You are such a nerd. Hi. Oh, sorry. Were we supposed to wear our costumes? No. Come on in. May the Lord be with you. Remember what you said in the car? Here at Glad Tidings, small groups are the core of our community. It's a place to build relationships, grow spiritually, enjoy food and fellowship, and grow closer to Jesus. Glad Tidings Small Groups, living life together. So that's a great picture of what we're not devoted to in our small groups. Uh, here are the four things we are devoted to. The first thing that we're devoted to in our small groups is teaching, teaching. Okay. The Bible says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. Uh, apostles teaching is at the very top of the list of what they were devoted to. Why is it that the first thing that the Holy Spirit inspired Luke, the physician, to write here is what they were devoted to being the apostles teaching. Why is that? It is because of this, because truth is what sets you free and truth is what keeps you free. And so right up front in this community, these small groups, they were devoted to truth, teaching the truth of God's word. And the Bible says they were devoted to the apostles teaching, right? This was before the Gospels were available in written form. And so the way the apostles would pass along the teachings of Jesus was to orally pass along those teachings. And they were committed to that. They were devoted to that. They persevered in that. In John chapter 8, Jesus said this. He said, if you hold to my teaching, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Amen. If you hold to my teaching, then you are really my disciples. If you are a disciple of Jesus here this morning, you hold to, you cling to, you don't let go of. It becomes part of you. What becomes part of you? The teachings of Jesus. If you are a disciple, you will hold to the teachings of Christ. And when you hold to the teachings of Christ, the truth will set you free. You will know it and it will set you free. 
Barna Research Group surveyed Americans to find out how many had a biblical worldview. And for the purpose of the survey, they defined a biblical worldview as believing that absolute moral truth exists, that the Bible is totally accurate and all the principles it teaches, that Satan is considered to be a real being or force, not merely symbolic, that a person cannot earn their way into heaven by trying to do good or do good works, and that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth, and God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who still rules the universe today. In this research, anyone who held all those beliefs was said to have a biblical worldview. And here was their findings. Only 9% of all American adults have a biblical worldview. Not surprising, but watch this. Only 19% of born-again believers, 19% of born-again believers have a biblical worldview. And we wonder why sometimes, right? We wonder why Christians are not living free. Why? Because they have not held on to the teachings of Jesus. If you hold to my teaching, Jesus said, then you are my disciple. Then you will know the truth. Then you will be set free. And so many people in the body of Christ, and maybe even here this morning, we're, we're, we're bound up in stuff. We've got baggage. We've got bondage. We've been delivered from Egypt, right? Just like the Israelites. But in our minds, we still think like slaves. We still have a slavery mentality. Sometimes we want to go back to Egypt because, boy, we, we understand slavery a lot better than freedom. What happens is, is we have to go through this renewing of our mind process. How do we do that? By devoted, being devoted to the apostles' teachings or the teachings of Jesus. The apostle Paul encouraged Timothy. He said this in 1 Timothy 4 verse 16. He said to Timothy, young man, young pastor, he said, watch your life and your doctrine. What is doctrine? Teaching. Watch your life and your teaching. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So Paul was telling Timothy, listen, watch your life very closely and watch your doctrine very closely. Watch the teachings. Watch carefully what teachings you're allowing into your mind and into your heart. Why is this so very important? Why does it say watch your life and your doctrine closely? Here's why. Because, because your life and what you believe cannot be separated. You cannot separate. It's impossible to separate your life from what you believe. How many of you know you live what you believe? So if you don't like your life, examine what you believe. You can say, well, I got to change my life. No, you got to change what you believe first about God, about yourself and about others. And when you begin to change the way you think, right, then you'll start changing what you do. You cannot separate your life from your doctrine. If your life is screwed up, could be that your doctrine is screwed up. Are you with me this morning? And so the first thing that they were devoted to was the teachings of Scripture. 
They were devoted to truth. They were saying, we've got to have truth. We've got to have truth. Let that be the standard. Okay. so the second thing that they were devoted to in their small groups and that we're devoted to in our small groups is fellowship. Fellowship is much more than Starbucks with a friend. Okay, Star, uh, Starbucks, yeah. fellowship uh, is what it literally means is participation. To have fellowship with somebody, you're participating in their life. You're sharing their life with them. Okay, God created us for, for participation. He created us for community. When, when God was creating things, the first five days of creation, he would create the animals and he would say, it is good. And then when he created man on the sixth day, he said what? Very good. I want you to turn to a man who's sitting near you and say, very good. Now, that was really awkward, wasn't it? Uh, uh, awkward moment. Unless that was your spouse, right? That was an awkward moment. Okay. Let's see if we can reverse that, fix that awkward moment. So God says, very good when he made man. But then he said something that just seemed kind of strange. Then he said, not good. Something is not good. He said, it's not good that man should be alone. Very interesting word. Adam here is experiencing this, this incredible relationship with God. There's no sin. There's no shame. There's, there, there's total oneness there. Yet God uses the word alone to describe Adam. But God's right there. But God says, no, Adam, you're alone. Can I tell you this morning, we have a need for community. We have a need for participation that God himself will not meet. We have a need for participation, community with one another, that God himself says, I will not meet that need. Somebody else will have to. You see, time alone with God alone will not change you. If time alone with God could change you and meet every need that God created you with, then, then God would not have said to Adam, it's not good for, he would not have said that for Adam to be alone. Time alone with God alone will not change you. If God is all we need, then he would have said this. He would have said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he would have stopped right there. If God is all we need. But he went on to say, love your neighbor as yourself. And the reason why he said that is this. is because you cannot fully experience the love of God without your neighbor. You want a revelation of God's love, but you want it in your prayer closet. Now, I don't want to go to a small group and, you know, open up my life and say what's going on. You're going to limit the revelation of God's love in your life. Because part of how God reveals his love to us is through the people around us. It is not good for man to be alone. Research tells us that two out of ten men have healthy relationships where both parties trust and are committed to each other. Two out of ten men have that kind of healthy relationship with another human being. In contrast, six out of ten women have that kind of relationship. Somebody say, it is not good. It is not good. 
All right, uh, Tana Heinemann is our small groups director here. She's doing an amazing job of directing our small groups. And uh, I've asked her this morning to just tell her small group story about what it means to have fellowship or participation with, uh, with other believers. Tana, thanks for coming. Thanks, Pastor Walt. Good morning. Uh, so like Pastor Walt said, I'm the small groups director here, and um, having been given the opportunity to reflect on my life here at Glad Tidings and what God has done, um, it makes sense that I really, really love small groups, and I hope that you catch that in this little moment here. But when I showed up here 24 years ago, I was 19, single, and pregnant. I had kind of made a mess of my life, and I kind of thought I knew how to make it better. I'd kind of grown up in a Christian home. Um, but things just weren't going so well, and I thought that uh, maybe I knew better how to do this relationship with God thing than the other people around me, and obviously, <laughs> that wasn't true. Um, and so I showed up here at Glad Tidings and got plugged into what then we called home fellowship groups, and uh, that's where the turn in my life happened. You know, listening, Pastor Walt said that we were saved from Egypt, but we still had a slave mindset, and I had given my heart to the Lord, and I had turned started the uh, transition of changing my life. I had changed my life, but I didn't know how to really walk that out. And I, one of the biggest things that needed to change was who was talking into my life, who I was hanging out with, the community that I was with. And so getting plugged into small groups here changed who the voices were that were feeding into my mind and how I was going to live my life and how I was going to change the life that I had created for myself. Um, and so that's where small groups started. And um, one of my favorite parts about small group is that uh, one night I had to wrestle with, do I go to small group tonight or do I go out with this super cute guy that just called me and asked me out that doesn't go to Glad Tidings? And uh, that guy's standing right over there. And um, I said yes to the date. Uh, so you might, you might meet somebody through small groups, although he wasn't in my small group. He, he made me rebel and skip it that night, but I don't regret it. Um, and fast forward, you know, now we're married and we're here at Glad Tidings. And again, we know who Jesus is, but it's, it's a lot harder to change our thinking when we're just trying to plug away on our own and trying to figure this out and raise kids. And, and it was just not going like we thought it was supposed to be this grand and glorious, you know, I've been saved kind of moments. And, uh, so we spent, um, once we, when we were married and we, and we kind of started getting, we, I don't remember how long we stayed out of small groups, but we've been in small groups pretty much the whole time. And, um, and God used people in our lives because we were devoted to the apostles teaching and fellowship. That's where the change started to happen for our marriage because we were willing that we wanted to, I looked up devoted this morning. I actually wrote it on my hand and it says, um, concentrating on a particular pursuit as if of, by a vow. And that's kind of where we'd went. We said, we're not going to repeat the cycle in my family. There's no marriages that are intact in my family. There's broken homes for generations in my family, and we were not going to continue that. And so we actively pursued as if like a vow, we're going to do it different. And we plugged into small groups, and small groups is scary. I'll be, I'll, I'll be honest about it. You, we can come here, and nobody knows what's going on in our life. You get in small group, you start having people who are asking about your life and starting to teach you how to apply the Word of God and change your life. And that's where it gets real. 
but I knew that I wanted real more than I wanted what I had. And so that's where small groups saved my marriage. I am here today saying that in June, we will celebrate 20 years being married because of small groups. So I'm talking too long, but fast forward again. And in that time, in that time of us attending small groups and trying to figure out our lives, we were also leading small groups. So you don't have to be perfect to be a small group leader. You just need to love Jesus and know that all of us need to find him and we need to chase after him. So we've been small group leaders now for about 18 years. And it's such an honor to know that in our imperfection, God is perfect. His love is unconditional. His grace never ends. And now we get to help open the eyes of people who are on that same track. And they get to come alongside and become our family and do that along with us. And it is such an honor. Now you know why I would be the small groups director, because I want that for every single one of you that's in this building. Awesome. Thank you, Tana. I may have to have you come back up here so I can use your hand to, you know, understand what devoted means. Uh, I met my wife in a small group, by the way, if you didn't know that. So if you're single here, God is speaking to you this morning. Hey, this Wednesday night is group link, if you haven't picked up on that, at 6.30 p.m. in the uh, uh, kids' auditorium. Uh, so prayer meeting will happen here. If you're part of a small group, you can come to prayer meeting. If you're not, come to group link. Uh, we've got over 40 small group leaders that are going to be there, and we're going to help you find the group that fits for you. And so that is exciting, exciting to me. Thank you, Tana, for helping us understand what it looks like when we are devoted to the fellowship participating, sharing in one another's lives. The third thing that we are devoted to in our small groups is to the breaking of bread. Breaking of bread. In the New Living Translation, it says, and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper. We understand that this passage is talking about how they were devoted to the Lord's Supper. How many of you know it doesn't take a a whole lot of devotion to eat a meal? Right? They were devoted to a very special meal, the Lord's Supper, or what we call communion now. And we just celebrated that earlier this morning in the service. So why, the question is, why were they within these communities of small groups, why were they devoted to communion? Did they actually like break bread and drink the wine, drink the juice, right? Don't get nervous in the service. We serve juice. It's not wine on Sunday morning. Right. So what, what, what it is, is why did they do that? Why did they take time to celebrate that that communion before Jesus went to the cross? He celebrated the the last supper. It was the Passover meal with his disciples. Very familiar passage. And we know that the Passover meal was the meal that the Jews celebrate every year to remember the right or excuse me, to remember the night that death passed over. Every home that had the blood of the lamb sprinkled over the doorposts and the lintels of their home. It was called the Passover. And so there was this meal, the Passover meal. And Jesus is having this Passover meal with his disciples. And it was during that Passover meal that he revealed that he was the Passover lamb. And it was during this meal that he established a new covenant in his blood. He said, I am the the lamb. I am the Passover lamb. 
And it's my blood when it's applied to the doorpost and lintel of your heart that that judgment, that death will pass over you. Okay. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25. He said in the same way after the supper, referring to the, the last supper that, that Jesus had with it. After supper, Jesus, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in whose blood? In my blood, he said, in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So let's talk for just a moment about what a covenant is. A covenant is important for us to understand. Because God relates to us on the basis of covenant. We are either under the old covenant of law or the new covenant of God's grace. So we have to understand what covenant we are under. Here's what a covenant is. A covenant is an agreement between two parties. A covenant has terms and conditions that both parties agree to keep. And a covenant always involves the shedding of blood. The old covenant is an agreement between God and man. And we enter into that covenant with God by being obedient to the laws that God gives us. And we know that the penalty for breaking those laws is what? Is death or the shedding of blood. Okay, so we know that God provided a a sacrificial system in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant where um, instead of our blood being shed for our sins, the the blood of bulls and goats and lambs, their blood was shed and it didn't it didn't totally it didn't totally remove our sin. It just covered the sin, the Bible says. And once a year, they had what was called the Day of Atonement. And on that day, the high priest would, would make this sacrifice, and blood was shed, blood was sprinkled, and that was the day that everybody was reminded that, that the, the, the penalty of our sin is the shedding of blood. Okay? And now, Back to the New Testament, here's a a story that's very interesting to me. There's this rich young ruler who comes to Jesus, right? And he asks Jesus a very important question. And he says to Jesus, what must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' answer is this. He said, keep the commands and you will what? You will live. I would have thought Jesus would said, said something like, I'm your man. I'm the answer. Place your faith in me, in my blood. I'm, he didn't. He said, he said, keep the commands and you will live. What was, he, what was he pointing to there? He was pointing to the old covenant. He was pointing this, this rich young ruler back to the, the, the old covenant and saying to him, listen, if you want to live, if you want to have eternal life, keep all the commands, keep all the laws of the old covenant. What was, what was Jesus doing? He was setting this man up, wasn't he? He was setting this man up for failure. He was, he was trying to point to, out to this man that uh, the, the old covenant, it doesn't save us. It just reminds us that we need saving. And so Jesus is saying here is, he says, we've got to have a better covenant. The old covenant can't save us. 
the old covenant is, is not a good covenant. We need a new covenant. And Jesus said, the new covenant is in my blood. In other words, he's saying the new covenant is a better covenant than the old covenant because the new covenant puts all the demands on me and not on you. The old covenant puts all the demands on you. Keep all these laws and you will live. The new covenant puts all the demands on Jesus Christ. Keep all these laws and you will live. And guess what? He did. He was sinless and he spilled his sinless blood for us. And it's this new covenant. And so what these disciples were doing in these small group communities, they were celebrating the new covenant. They're like, this is so much better than the old covenant. This is the new covenant and it's in Christ's blood. Blood was still demanded. Blood was still shed, but it wasn't your blood and it wasn't the blood of bulls and goats. It was the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sins of the world. And they were committed to this. So in their homes, they broke bread together and they took this Lord's communion together to remember that it's not about us anymore. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And everything depends upon him. The fourth thing that our small groups are devoted to is prayer. Somebody say prayer. I want to share a story with you from Bridget, who uh, just recently sent in her story about how God answered this, this prayer through her small group. She writes, several years ago, I developed what's called pseudo tumor of my skull. I was in horrendous pain for many years, several years, and we couldn't find a doctor to help. About two years ago, I met this wonderful lady named Jody Laid at Glad Tidings, and she invited me to a women's small group Bible study. As soon as I started going, she says, I loved it. It was a loving community of believers who cared about me. Sharon Atwell was the teacher, and I learned about the Bible. I learned about how to trust in God, and she became a dear friend of mine. And she says, it wasn't, if it wasn't for these ladies praying for me and cheering me on, I probably would have given up on life and thrown in the towel. I felt like there was no hope. How many of you know that when you're alone, it feels like no hope? She said, I was in so much pain all the time, and I just wanted to die, literally. She says, after praying with these ladies for several months, one day God answered my prayers with a miracle. God provided me with a neurosurgeon in a truly amazing way that only he could do. And this surgeon was the only one who thought of a solution for my situation. He designed a surgery specifically tailored for me. He fragmented my skull into small pieces in order to make a window. And this opening in my skull released the pressure in my skull. And four days after my surgery, I suddenly realized my headaches were gone. Can I tell you... Yeah, give God praise. When you're living in constant pain for seven years and your small group starts to pray and your small group and God answers the prayers. Listen, can I tell you, sometimes God does it miraculously. Sometimes he does it through surgeons and through medicine. But all in all, God is the healer. God gets the glory. She said, I couldn't get down on my knees fast enough to thank God for all that he had done. <laughs> She says, when I was on my knees before him, he gave me a vision of a blue, rusty and dirty jail cell that I was held captive in. And in the vision, he himself opened the door and said, I set you free. Yeah. 
I set you free. She says, the love that I now have for God and for other people is unexplainable. I will never be able to thank God enough. And to think it all started by going to a small group Bible study here at Glad Tidings. Can we give God praise? So at Glad Tidings, what do our small groups do? What can you expect? You can expect them to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And I want to conclude with this thought. For us to understand the context of this devotion, we have to understand historically what was going on in the world that day. The first church began during a time of political and religious persecution, political and religious persecution. Rome was in political power and Judaism was the religious power. It was the the religion of the Jews. But Judaism was not Christ friendly, not at all Christ friendly. Remember, it was the Jews, not the Romans, that demanded that Jesus be crucified. The Romans physically nailed him to the cross, but it was the Jewish people. It was the Jewish people that that demanded that he be put there. And it was under these conditions that that Christianity, this new thing, began to emerge and was born. And anyone who repented of their sin, anyone who converted to, to from Judaism to Christianity and began to proclaim that Jesus was, in fact, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, and that he died and that he really literally rose from the grave three days later, they were persecuted. They were persecuted for their faith. And if you fast forward just four chapters ahead in Acts chapter 8, these same believers were, because of persecution, they were scattered through all the region. So why am I bringing this up? The Christian church in Acts chapter 2, they were tested by their hardship. But in America, we are tested by our freedom. And my question to you this morning is, how will you use your freedom? How will you live it out? You have the freedom to be devoted to almost anything you want in this country. Hardship is what drove the first church to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. My question this morning is, what will drive you to do the same? What would happen in your life What would happen in the life of God's church if you were devoted to a small group community, if you were devoted to teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer? What would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. Exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Everybody was filled with awe. There was these signs and wonders, miracles going on. Everybody was living sacrificially and generously. Nobody had needs. They were taking care of one another. They were eating together with glad and sincere hearts. They were praising God. There was great joy. God was doing some amazing things, but I love how it ends. Because they were devoted to living in this kind of community together, people took notice. And the Bible says that God added to their number every day. Every day, those who were being saved whether church was scheduled that day and they had a service, whether they had an altar call that day or not, whether it was a Monday, a Tuesday, a Thursday, a Friday, a Saturday, every day God was adding. You know why? Because this community was amazing. The people on the outside were going, I want to be part of that. There was life going on there. 
I thank, I thank God for our ability to connect with him in our services. I thank God for our amazing team and our worship team. I thank God for the word of God. I thank you for the presence of God in this place. Thank you, Lord. I thank God for all of that. But, but guys, it's just the kickoff of the game. It's just the, it's just the beginning of the game. And if you step away after the kickoff, you miss the rest of the game. And I'm asking you to engage in the game called community. Where it's, where, where, where we, it's play by play, right? It's, it's yard by yard. It's how we grow. There's this born again experience. It's beautiful. But then God calls us to grow up and to mature. And we do it through community in small groups. I want you to stand with me this morning and, and let's pray. God, thank you this morning that that your word is so powerful and the preaching and the teaching and the Holy Spirit so powerful, God. It's, it's It's nothing about us, about me, God, but it's your word, Lord. And Lord, I thank you that you, uh, you transform us as we come together in these services. And God, I thank you that you continue to transform us as we grow in community. I pray that you would help each one of us, each one of us, move towards that community. He'd help each one of us to be devoted, God, to growing in community. And Lord, we just bless you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite our prayer workers to come this morning. If you'd like prayer, they're here to pray with you. Also, if you're here today and you realize that uh, you're, you're under the old covenant still, the old law, and all the demands are on you, and you realize that you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ and the new covenant in his blood. If that's you this morning, I encourage you to come and pray with one of our prayer workers. God bless you this morning.